Hello and welcome back to part two of our conversation with Charles Perry from Matakite Software and ReleaseNotes.tv. So I have a couple of things to throw out on this, if I if I may, uh, and nope. I have like, some questions, and I have some of my own needs that this I feel like this could solve, but it it's not geared to me and my firm that I use. So all right, so here's a couple of things. One, I talk to our accountants a lot, and actually my wife does a lot of this too. But like we end up, I mean, our business is not that big. And we talk to them fairly often and they send us like this type of information fairly often, but they just copy and paste it into like an email. And so now copy and paste it in some email from three years ago is this fairly important information about how we handle a certain situation, like tax wise or accounting wise or whatever, and like research they've done or or things like that. So my first question is, or my first idea of what I really want out of this, even though this is not for me at all, is I want this to be all this information you have in here, but where my accounting firm uses this to send this information to me. Like there's, they, their clients are in it and they set aside, like here's like, you can just look through anything, whatever, but here's specific tax things that are for you in particular and your business. So if you need to reference these again, or you want to look up how to do something, like you don't have to call me every time and ask me that question from six months ago. You can just go here into the system and the forms and the documentation and all that stuff right there. Like, I don't know if you thought about bringing it into more of the like base camp, but for tax attorney, you know, accountant, client communication. Cause I feel like it's a horrible way that it all works right now. And they all seem to work the same in the three or four I've used over these last 12 years. And it's all bad. I don't know. Aren't you the one that just told me that consumer software is going to zero? That's not consumer software. <laughs> You're selling it to the, to the firm. The firm is providing it to their clients. So, I mean, you want the, you want them to just sort of make it more convenient to e- email and stuff, or you want them to send you a link that, Links to always up-to-date, always up-to-date information. Yeah, like they can go here. But like, listen, we made a special, super awesome portal zone thing uh, for uh, Userscape Inc. Inside the super portal thing, you know, I'm sure there would be like the digital copy of our tax returns or whatever, stuff like that. But then also, here's the relevant statutes and state things, whatever, all these different things that come up here, right here is the links to the ones that specifically pertain to like a software company and your particular case. And that we've, we've marked the ones that are most important and you could go as the customer, I could dig around and search and find anything I want. Fine. But like a central place to have all this information that's not in my Gmail, which is where all those right now, like they send us stuff. It's just in Gmail. I have to go find, like, I got 400 emails from Jan, our accountant. I have to look through them and try to find the one where he, like, copy and pasted the relevant bit of information, uh, you know, six or months ago or three years ago and find all the information. I feel like this is the information, but I, I need it. Like, they, they need it too, but I need it too. Do you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying, but if you're, I mean, if you're going to, uh, if you put yourself in the position of the accountant and... I, I, I mean, I, I think that product would be great. However, I mean, there's always a however, right? right. And, you know, <laughs> the however that I immediately see is that something like that, if you were going to set something up that was going to be, um, you know, customized to each client, somebody's got to do that, that setup, right? So that means either the accountant is doing it, which is a possibility, um, but they probably got a staff because, they got you the know, flunkies. Yeah, I mean, who's got, you know, nobody who's an independent tax preparer doing um, you know, taxes for 
80 hours a week during you know January to April is going to have time to put that together and then keep it updated and stuff. And they're like I said, they're not always the most technically savvy people out there. Or it means I've got to do it, and I'm going to do, to, do that as a service for the for the accountant. Yeah, I definitely those could happen too. But yeah, I don't like that idea. I don't. Yeah. Like, I don't like you doing it all. I like them yeah. doing it. Which just kind of rubs up on the uh, my other thing that I see like instantly that I have a problem with. If I maybe go frank. for it. This is turning into the one of those episodes that you were trying to to yes. To we're sell tearing down Twitter. To, how did I get roped into this? You didn't <laughs> tell me this was gonna happen. <laughs> I forget it. I'll just have guests on Bootstrap and convert it into where Sucker I punch them. I see how it is. <laughs> exactly. This is not the great idea. All right, here it is. Okay, this come one, at me. This come one, at me. I've this got one's you. bigger. This one's bigger. I think okay. this is even. This is something you could just do. It has nothing to do with the product at all. Okay. I do- strongly disagree with the idea that the top tier of this app is twenty four dollars a month, a, and is up to three people. Like, why is this for small? See, to me, like what we were just talking about, this seems like it he should just be told you he doesn't bigger. want to deal with firms. Listen, our firm is a small. Well, I always still consider a small firm, and there's probably you know six partners and then there's like staff accountants and then there's flunkies below them. So it's still probably 80 people, but that doesn't mean that they don't have need of these things. Like, I don't know. It doesn't people don't, don't, I mean, this is the kind of stuff they send us all the time. So I feel like they're getting it somewhere. Now maybe there's like enterprisey solutions that they're using instead of this or something. I don't know, but it doesn't seem like it. Cause it doesn't seem very good. It seems like they just copy and paste it from some, you know, government website somewhere and send it to us. So I feel like there's, and whatever they use for their own internal, obviously this is more geared for their internal, like, so they know the law so that they can apply it. But even in just the part that's exposed to us, when something comes up that they research for us, uh, you know, it doesn't, it seems like they would have need of this tool. So I'm curious why you think nobody more than three people needs this tool. No. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to start by saying your criticism is perfectly justified. All right, I've, good. I've, I've, I'm one for two. I, I, I have I have sort of come come around to that same uh, line of thinking as well. Um, and you and, even said these are non technical and not great customers in a sense. Like you know what I mean? Like it's really hard to reach those single. Oh yeah. One person company is like you. You gotta, really you gotta let me finish though. You can't just right, take go. your victory and run. Come on. No, <laughs> I want my victory. Next topic. Next topic. <laughs> no, I, I I agree with you that. 20, 20, basically 25 bucks per month is probably too little for this. The, I mean, there's like, you can have top tier. You're right. Top tier. And there's, there's, there's two, there's two things I'm going to say on this. First of all, I am going to plead ignorance because this is really my first foray into, um, tiered pricing. Um, it's not really, not really a thing that I've done before, even on, on iOS, because I've always just pay a flat fee, and then there's a subscription price that goes along with that. And so part of this is my inexperience showing and, and trying to get a hang of how this stuff works. I mean, I, I think that um, the SaaS people in particular have come a really long way. They are much more sophisticated in um, their knowledge of marketing, of pricing, and, you know, sort of other businessy aspects than a lot of iOS and, and Mac people are. We've And Mac people in particular have always sort of had the luxury of being able to charge a premium price and people would pay it historically. And so they haven't had to mess around with this stuff as much. So I'm coming at this from a deficit, and this is one of my first experiments with that. Having lived with this pricing for a while, though, like I said, I sort of agree with you in that the twenty the $25 a month is not, it's not high enough. I, I need a higher price point in order for this to become a really profitable business. 
Now, the question is what to do about that. You know, I could go ahead and say, um, and, and I should say, one of, the, one of the things I'm working on here is that this is sort of you know, set by the price point of similar competitors and stuff. So what do I do about that? I can either go ahead and aim for higher and larger companies that um, need more users, are willing to pay more, they're less price sensitive. That's a possibility. Um, if I do that, though, I start running it, start running into competition that I might not want to deal with because they're more sophisticated, have more resources than I have, and are able to crank out more uh, a more sophisticated product, frankly. Right. Um, the, the other opportunity, I guess, is to change the, um, the product itself into something that is more valuable. And that's actually something that I'm looking at for my next project. Actually, I haven't talked you guys are getting a, getting exclusive here. Cause I haven't it's on my own podcast, yet. <laughs> so, but I am, I am actually looking at a new product, um, probably aiming for a release in May that, um, would for the same market. So, like I said, I, I really like this market. Um, you know, they're business people, they're willing to pay, pay for stuff and it's, they're easy for me to reach because they have to f- register with the government and I can get contact information that way. Mm. Um, I don't spam them, but I'm able to you know, target them on Facebook and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so I think I need a, a product for this market, but that will provide, um, enough value that they'll pay, you know, pay a lot more, like twice as more or four times as more or something like that. And I think I'm on the way to that, but. Uh, that's going to take a little bit longer for that to develop because, like I said, you know they're getting busy, getting ready to enter their busy season. Basically, from January first until March or April fifteenth, they are heads down at their desk doing nothing but tax returns. They're not thinking about developing their business or anything. And so that's one of the one of the things I've discovered with this is that you know the marketing cycle for this particular market is very cyclical too. It's very um, you know has its ups and downs and downs in a way that I hadn't expected. Um, you know, with the productivity stuff, it's cyclical too, in that, in that there's a rush around New Year's New Year's because everybody has their New Year's resolutions. But this is cyclical, you know, way more. I mean, the the highs in late summer uh, and through the autumn are really high, and they shut down almost zero uh, during tax season. And so I'm I'm in a position right now where I've got a product that's ready to go, but I can't really do anything with it until probably May first when people. Uh, when my market starts to, you know, come up for air and mm-hmm. actually start thinking about what it is they want to do to uh, help develop their business a little more. So I was wondering, I was wondering if this, if tax time would drive sales of this because they like, we need this information crap. Like, where's that stupid tool we used last year? I don't remember its name. Let me look for something new. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they they need the information right now. And so it drives it versus like in the summer, they don't need anything. So, you know, or they don't Definitely. need it. It's not as intense. So I don't really have a whole lot of history on this yet, but you know, yeah. I've seen is that I see that that same phenomenon through about January fifteenth, and mm. then when the floodgates really open, that's when they can start actually. Fi- about that time is about when they can actually start filing returns with the with IRS, and that from that point on, they are just one hundred percent looking at returns. So that, that's true up until uh, early to mid January, but then it, it tails off to almost zero until uh, the end of tax season. This week, Bootstrapped is sponsored by Linode. Um, if you're looking for virtual machine hosting, I uh, definitely ought to check out Linode. They have eight data centers. Um, all the plan, the base plan starts at two gigabytes of RAM, and it goes up from there into very large servers. Really straightforward pricing, 10 bucks a month um, to start. 
And that's actually built hourly. So if you want to spin up a, a server just to play around with a side project and spin it back down, you're only going to pay, uh, you know, for the fraction of, of time you used on that. Um, they recently switched uh, from Zen to KVM and have seen, you know, 300% performance increases uh, with the servers uh, we use at Userscape um, run on Linode. And we did that conversion. And it's amazing. We were able to actually lower... Uh, the size of many of our servers down to just the base two gigabyte server because they're just ridiculously fast now. So that's really been awesome. It's all uh, 40 gig uh, network. It's all modern Intel processors. It's all native SSD storage, 24-7, 365 support, uh, seven-day money-back guarantee if you don't like it, which I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, again, I've been hosted there for I don't even know how long, five years or more um, with about 10 servers. Andre uses it as well. Uh, so definitely, definitely highly recommend Linode. Um, and uh, they've actually given us a, an offer code, bootstrapped20. So if you use that code, you'll get 20 bucks off um, when you sign up for an account in Linode. So basically, uh, you can get your first two months for free. Uh, or even if you're only using it for partial months, it could be last you longer than that, obviously. So definitely check that out. Offer code bootstrapped20. And we'll have that in the show notes uh, as well as a link right to that, that that applies a discount for you. So go ahead and just check it out in the show notes. Click on it. Um, our big, big thanks to Linode for always being a huge supporter of the show. And uh, I really can't highly recommend them enough. We use them for uh, everything at Userscape. And uh, it's been, been rock solid. So thanks a lot to Linode for sponsoring the show. The other thing with the pricing is the idea that, like, I mean, right in the head, you have, like, it's small firms. Like, I think a lot of organizations that are 20, 30 people would say they're small firms. Do you know what I mean? So, like, you could just put another price tier on this and even see how it goes. Like, $99 a month up to up to 30 users or 50 users, whatever. What do you care? You're not even selling it right now at all, right? So, $99 a month, 100 users. And <laughs> see if anybody, you know, if you get 10 of those or three of those even, you'd be like, oh, like, well, now we actually have actually. I mean, you've got to it probably have to do it so that, you know, there's some sort of discount over them buying just, you know, 30 sole practitioner licenses or whatever. But yeah, you right. can do a $100 license where you give them 30 access to 30 or something. And yeah, that's a big discount. And that makes it, you know, that it like signals that you expect to have customers that big, too. That's it. That's yeah. the thing that I think is bad when you only have this like one user or three user thing. It's, you know, then it's you're signaling that, yeah, we don't deal with anybody at all bigger than that. And so yeah. even though your product's not as sophisticated, the sophisticated product is a thousand dollars a month, right? Or whatever yeah. it is. So, you know, they know they don't want to pay for that or they don't know about that or whatever. And so this looks like the thing they want and they're willing to pay 99 bucks for their whole team to be in there or whatever. So I don't know. That just, yeah, I mean, I may, t- I may take that idea. That's not, not a bad one. Yeah, that's an easy one just to throw up and try. If nothing else, I don't know if there's enough traffic and all that, or, you know, who knows what kind of, Orgs are Actually, there, but it's a perfect time for that because I am getting a lot of traffic. People, a lot of people are sort of uh, yeah, gearing up. things out in the, in the last stretch before uh, before you know the New Year's hit. New Year hits yep. and they're getting ready for the tax season and stuff. So, so see, kids coming on bootstraps is a learning opportunity. <laughs> see, come on and learn. So <clears throat> you're just doing web apps now. You're leaving the mobile world. No, I'm, I'm not. I am. You know, I like I said, my my big money maker is still Benjamin on on iOS. Um, what, what's interesting I, I, about that? I'm sorry. Well, I was just, while you're answering that, you could also answer what I think is kind of interesting is that you have the subscription plus the pay upfront on the iOS, which is 
you know, a lot of productivity apps are just the 29 bucks or, you know, seven ninety nine. but that you have, it, it kind of looked to me like you pretty much have to have the subscription. Maybe I'm wrong, but having that subscription is pretty key. If you can do that on the mobile, I would imagine that's where a lot of the revenue comes from more than necessarily the new buys. Yeah. I mean, the, the subscription isn't necessarily mandatory. You can do it without, but if you want to, you know, basically if you have a, like an iPhone and an iPad, you're going to want right. the subscription. So mm-hmm. it, it, it has the effect of extracting more money from my most from the customers that find the most value from it, which is pretty much what you want. Right. Um, yeah, but it's, you know, it's a lot of people have tried done the freemium stuff. I, I've seen a lot of product, productivity go that way. I think, I think freemium, especially for niche apps is often a mistake. Um, unless you're like a game and then and you're really sort of going for the, for the whale customer that's going to you know buy every, little gold coin generator that you have in the game or whatever. <laughs> um, I, I think people, I, I think, I think mobile apps stand the, the best chance of finding success when they go for a very small niche. And I think niche apps have the best chance of finding success when they have one, you know, some sort of recurring revenue. Um, and, you know, frankly, a lot of people, especially in productivity stuff, you know, if you find yourself, I, I don't, not, not everyone who purchases my app, is a long-term user. I know that, um, you know, especially around the holidays, around new year's, you get a lot of, it's like gym memberships, man. I mean, people, they, it's an aspirational purchase for some people that, you know, they're going to get productive this year. And I'm, this is going to be the tool that helps me do it. Now, if they, and if they stick with it, I think my app can help them do it. And I think, you know, there's definite value that my, that my app provides, but they've got to do their part too. And, you know, you know, sometimes they just don't want to, and that's, that's fine. That's on them. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, having multiple, giving the, the customer multiple ways of giving you money, which in my case is, you know, a paid up front as well as uh, a subscription service, I think uh, stands the best way. I think that, you know, in my experience, when I've talked to, especially for niche products, if you're comparing just pure pay up front versus just pure um, like freemium or tip jar or something like that, where there's, you know, a free option, Unless your app really catches fire, which is always a possibility, but unless your app really catches fire, most cases I've seen um, the the upfront purchase do better if you have a clear value proposition. Now mm-hmm. there are going to be people people that argue with me because you know that's a that's a, a point of of contention I think in iOS in, in particular about you know what's the best way to to make money off of your uh, off of your product. But you know, I think it in my experience, and I think in in most apps that I've seen paying a little bit, even if it's like, you know, two ninety nine or something like that, you're going to do better than, you know, the, you'll get a lot more downloads if it's free. Don't get me wrong, but not many of them are going to end up giving you any money, which ultimately is if you're a business, what, what it's all about. So, um, that's my take on it at least. And this, like I said, it's a point of, of contention. A lot of people have different opinions on it, but in my experience, that's worked out best and it's worked, certainly worked out well for me. Um, I just wanted to, uh, you had a guest in the show. I forgot the guy's name, but something Smith, David Smith, David Smith, David Smith. Yeah. Who, underscore David Smith, right? Uh, just underscore. Yes. Underscore David Smith as he's known in the community. And he has this fascinating approach that I love, which is basically just make a whole bunch of iOS apps yeah. with like a very <laughs> strong restriction on the amount of time you put into an app and the amount of support you're willing to give to it. If it's not, you know, hitting traction of any sort. And right. uh, that's like the opposite of what you are basically doing, which is like this high, you know, normal price, not like a dollar piece of software that you 
improve over time, over a long period of time, instead of a more substantial piece of software. So I just wanted to hear like your thoughts on like that approach to mobile apps versus the one big app that you concentrate on over the years type of approach. Well, I mean, I, you're right. They are very different sort of approaches, and his has worked very well for him. I mean, he's he's able to support himself and his family. Um, he's achieving his goals with uh, with the products he puts out. So I mean, yeah, I'm certainly in no position to tell him he's doing it wrong. But I think we do have different sort of views on on the products. I mean, you're right. He isn't. He is probably the most productive person I know when it comes to just sort of cranking out software. Um, but I personally don't want to create the kind of software that a lot of his are. And I don't mean that. I don't mean to degrade his work because he does. He makes excellent apps. But they're oftentimes uh, smaller, oftentimes sort of utilities um, that are geared towards consumers that you know, I don't sort want to of, call them. He sort of exploits new APIs type of approach, yes. right? Yes, that's a very popular, that's, uh, he does that a lot, which is cool. I mean, he, he does good work with that. But I'm more interested in actually producing long-term value for my customers that they're willing to pay for. And I think his he views his apps oftentimes as I don't want to say flash in the pans, but they're ultimately different ways of. I mean, he he produces lots lots of different products that produce a little bit of value, whereas I produce I try to produce more substantial value uh, in the apps that I produce simply because I'm you know, handling more information or integrating it better or um, you know doing something in a way that that my competitors aren't. And it's to me at least it seems like the apps that he produces are a lot easier to be um, for competitors to sort of swoop in and reproduce really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas mine are a little more difficult because you need to have, in the case of Benjamin, you know, I, I go to training every couple of years, just to make sure I'm up to date on what's going on with what they're teaching and that, you know, the, the project is, is going to continue to suit the needs of people who are trained in the system. Um, so there's a little bit of investment. There's a, a little bit of uh, a little, a little more in-depth um, product going on there. Mm-hmm. He's able to overcome the, the risk of being able of having someone else swoop in and you know I guess the risk is that he's proving the market and once the market is proven somebody can swoop in and snatch it from him, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's relatively low complexity software. And he overcomes that risk by having so many different um, revenue streams, so many different apps that, that reproduce that. If he loses one or two, it's not such a big deal because he has all these others. Um, that are able to bring in small amounts of revenue that together add up to a sum that can support them. And that's very cool. And it's just sort of, a, I think, a different in, difference in perspective, a difference in the kinds of software that you want to do. You know, I personally probably would not feel very fulfilled um, making some of the, the smaller pieces of software he, he makes. You know, if only because I'm not really interested in the latest APIs. I'm, I'm more interested in the business side of the software business than I am um, you know, the, the technical side and that's, you know, he eats that stuff up and that's great for him. But I mean, I have a podcast on the business side of, of the software business for a reason is because that's what I'm particularly interested in. Um, it, I don't think that that method would be, um, that I would be particularly well suited to that, that method. And so I think that's probably where our, our differences come from. Well, it's also, it's really a marketing. It's all about marketing, right? Like it, the, the best way or the easiest way or the best and easiest way to market a lot of times on iOS is to be there first with the new API thing that Apple wants to push because yeah. it's new. And so, you know, you can if you're there on the first minute when the new iPhone comes out with a new API and you have an app that does anything with that, then you're going to get that promotion. 
and you're going to get a huge bunch of customers in the beginning and 95% of them will go away. But, you know, it's such a huge bump that if 5% actually continue to use your app for a year or two years or whatever it is, then, and I think he's mostly advertising based. So as long as you have some subgroup that, you know, continues to use it over those few years, you got such a huge influx at the beginning. You don't have to hold on to that many of them to make enough. I don't know who buys mobile advertising, by the way, because that seems like that's got to go away sometime soon because like, I've never seen any mobile advertising worth a damn if ever, but somebody's still paying for it. So uh, that makes that kind of work. It's really like a marketing business, like an angle on the business of like how to market effectively in iOS uh, is to be there first and then hold on to some tiny group of those customers for a couple of years. And, you know, because the product still has to be good enough to do that. But, um, but then you get around the other marketing, you know, actually trying to market on there with like a productivity app or things like that that are, you know, more traditional apps that, you know, it's harder, harder, obviously, if Apple's not promoting you regularly and things like that. So, well, that actually gets to my other problem with, with the way that he, with, with the, sort of his business model. And, and that's that it's so dependent on, you know, getting featured by Apple, right? You, you work on the, the right. new stuff that uses new API so that you'll get featured. And that's great when you get featured. Right. But and and he he has relationships with people in Apple, so for sure. him that makes perfect sense, right? right? Um, he's been able to to you know build up the relationships you need to be able to make sure that your app ends up, um, you know, seen by the right person at the right time to get a feature. But what happens if you know you fall out of favor with Apple? What happens if you, if uh, for some reason they don't like what you're doing or don't like you or don't like what you're saying uh, online or something like that anymore? And I'm. I am unwilling to put. I, I already have so much, so many eggs in Apple's basket. I'm unwilling to put even more in their basket. And so right. now I'm looking for um, product opportunities that don't depend on um, having, you know, being in favor with any particular gatekeeper, whether that is Apple or Google or anybody else. You know, I, I want to be in a position where um, I can, you know, my where my product is compelling enough that. Um, through advertising and through word of mouth that I can get the attention I need in order to sustain the business. And, you know, just like businesses have, have done for millennia, right? Um, Apple's function as a gatekeeper has sort of come in and um, sort of upset a lot of the lessons that we've learned over, you know, thousands of years of commerce. And because now you're having to, you're not working in a, in a pure market-driven environment. Now you're working uh, within a, a market that is heavily driven by the gatekeeper, Apple, and, you know, what their interests are uh, rather than necessarily what your interests are or the customer's interests are. And that's not really – that's not a game that is attractive to me. So I've, I I sort of have been actively trying to avoid those, uh, you know, as I've been looking at new products. You're a rare person uh, who I come across who's spent that long in the Apple ecosystem and is perfectly fine with – or at least recognizing the fact that there's value and not sticking around there because most of the people that I've known who work a, a long time and, and sort of people who do desktop software for Mac and they do exclusively desktop software for Mac and have been since like the 90s, they sort of stick with Apple through thick and thin, right, regardless of what the, the company does. And it's rare sort of to meet a person who says, well, you know, maybe now is not a good time to stick around with this with this company out of sort of like some sort of a principle that I like this company and maybe it's better to remove that dependency. 
Well, you know, when Apple was in its low point in the 90s and they were getting beat up left and right and it's questionable whether they were going to even stay in business. I mean, Apple needed cheerleaders. They needed a development community that had their back 100%. Um, and, you know, you know, Rick shook the pom-poms and yelled rah-rah and tried to get people interested and excited about their hardware and their software. That's not the case today. Apple is the largest company in the world. <laughs> they don't need my help, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, whatever loyalty the developer community has uh, shown to Apple, you know, through the, through the tough times, I don't think has necessarily been... Uh, return. There are good people at Apple, and and there are. I have friends that work at Apple, and people on you know the App App Store review team and App Store editorial team that you know look out for me and look out for other independent developers that are out there. Um, there are good individuals in Apple, but Apple as a company, I don't think, um, is necessarily on the side of developers. There's a sort of a received wisdom in the, in the developer community that Apple's first priority is Apple. Uh, their second priority is are their customers, and then a distant third comes their developers. And um, I keep that in mind. I, I mean, I, I go into this with my eyes open. I know what I'm getting into when I work with Apple and I work on their and their ecosystem. Um, you know, as to your other point, you know, I have a friend. I'm going to give a shout out, Shane Crawford. He runs a company called Blue Lightning Labs, and he works on a lot of educational software. You know, he he pointed out to me once that you know his goal in life is not to be an indie iOS developer. His goal in life is to be indie. You know, he wants to he wants to be an independent worker uh, that doesn't have to go someplace else for employment. You know, what platform he works on is sort of a secondary concern. And I've sort of adopted that for myself because I agree 100 percent. You know, uh, iOS is great, but something else is going to you know come along someday that's going to brush it aside. I don't know when that's going to happen. But if you look at the history of software, it's going to happen eventually. And, you know, I want to be ready when that next day comes. And, you know, if you if you find yourself too rooted to. Uh, the current platform, you may find yourself with blinders on or not see opportunity when it when it comes along. So I try to uh, be open to that as well. So before we uh, brush up too much on time here, I did want to talk about the conference a bit because it's just very interesting to me. And uh, I think whenever you can pull back the curtain on the conference stuff is always interesting for people who just, you know, even just attend them or speak at them because there is a lot that goes into it and did, a lot did of you factors. See, did you see they had Rich Siegel on from uh, founder of BB Edit, your favorite editor from back in the day? Oh, yes. I see. Yes. Bare bones software. Yeah, he's a great guy. You <laughs> put, put on a, a great talk too. Well, that's what that's what, the first thing that struck me is for only the second year of a conference. Um, like you got some really big names in in the community, and I was wondering how you did that. Since I assume you weren't known to all these folks ahead of time, like how did you get in there and make that? You know, or maybe it was the first year that set that up. But but how did you go about getting these you know really well known folks to come to your conference in uh, Indianapolis here? Well, I think there's two parts to it. Uh, first of all, I think the podcast helps because uh, Joe and I, we, we talk about this stuff every week. And so there's a community of people who are interested in sort of businessy stuff and they know who we are, even yeah. if the wider community uh, might not. Um, uh, the other part, I think, is that, you know, iOS and before it Mac has had a long history of conference going. It's always been a, a really big part of the community. Um, going back, you know, for decades, I mean, there's uh, some, some really great conferences like C4, Second Conf, um, there's UL going on right now, um, Singleton, and those have all been sort of, uh, conferences that have single track and have sort of specialized on, not so I shouldn't say specialized, I should say it, it took more of a generalist 
approach, right. like the liberal arts. And there was lots of different topics, not just technical, but also business and uh, community and ethics and, and all kinds of stuff. And recently, I think, you know, some of that, that, that sort of liberal arts type conference has sort of gone away in the iOS community. And especially with the introduction of Swift recently, about what, two or three years ago now, a lot of the community's interest and focus has gone into learning, learning this new language, right? And trying to mm. figure out what exactly this is going to look like and trying to develop best practices for it and stuff like that. So a lot of the conferences now, I think, are geared uh, a lot more uh, towards the technical than they have been historically. And so what we found is that, you know, if you're looking for a non-technical conference, um, particularly if you're, if you're interested in the business of, of our business, and we're sort of the place to go. Um, a lot of the other ones that have been not as focused on on technical stuff uh, have sort of, or that a lot of the conferences that have been more te- that have uh, that have sort of focused on things that other than the technical side has sort of gone away, leaving us behind. And so, I mean, a lot of these people, like you mentioned, Rich Siegel in particular, I mean, he's got a wealth of knowledge on how to run a software business, and he's got a lot of ideas on what it takes, what works, what doesn't. But not a lot of platforms from which he can he can share those those ideas. Right. And so if you find somebody who's really successful who's been around for a while and say, Hey, look, we want you to come on, but we want to talk we want you to talk about lessons learned. We want you to talk about what's worked in the past, what's working t- today, and how those two things may have changed over years, why you think they've changed and where things are going now. And they just they they jump at the chance because there's not a lot of 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 op- like public speaking opportunities that are like that anymore. Yeah. So we've had a lot of success with like Rich Siegel and, and a bunch of other guys who've um, you know been willing to come on and talk about software, talk about law, talk about how to protect yourself, and and all kinds of other stuff like that. That's great. Yeah, that's that's really cool because it is. Like something that Apple doesn't cover that end of the spectrum, right? Like they have their big conferences, but they're not into the business of software development. Like they're not going to get into the businessy side of things. And um, yeah, there is uh, the big companies. They don't need that because they have lawyers yeah. and everything and business people and all that. So it's like, yeah, this this group that's kind of underserved in this area, which that's pretty cool. Yeah, we've actually been... Uh... The thing we found, though, is because we're not really concentrating so much on the technical side, and it, people almost had to beat us over the head for us to finally realize that because we're not concentrating so much on the technical side, you know, the stuff that we talk about at our conference relates to way more than just iOS and Mac, right? Right. Um, I get people like, why, why aren't you, you know, putting this out in this community or that community? And, and we have a strong business, independent business community, too. We're like, well, you're probably right. You're probably, your developer, developers in the uh, Android community probably would be interested in you know, hearing a lawyer talk about how you can protect yourself or hearing an accountant talk about, you know, how to, you know, keep your books in, in a condition where you're going to be able to save yourself money with, with your accountant or, you know, marketing ideas and, and things like that. And yeah. It's it, in some ways, it's sort of like, uh, I've never been to microconf, but it seems like that same sort of vibe that only not so much web driven, more desktop or most more native driven. Right. Um, I went to I went to Piers last year and it was a lot of fun and I saw a lot of uh, you know a lot of similarities in sort of vibe and and community I think um, between their conference and ours I mean we we deal with different technologies but especially on the business tracks I think that um, anybody who came to Release Notes would probably get a lot out of going to it and I think anybody who went to Piers uh, would probably get a lot out of coming to Release Notes just because those kind of some of those kind of things like how to make your first hire you know those kind of things they're not driven by what platform you use. They're driven by, you know, basic business concerns that sort of transcend uh, the technology that you're using at any particular time. 
Yeah, it's always tricky with the conference because it's also like <clears throat> there's there's the multiple levels. There's the what you actually present to people at the conference, which is a lot of times useful to many different groups, but the kind of marketing that goes into it before that and your name and a certain community and the speakers you can get and all those things tend to work more towards being part, making it more focused on a specific community, even though the information might actually be more general because it just, it's easier to market something that's more niche, but then also it just has a natural evolution a lot of times. Like yours naturally sort of evolved in the space and you knew these people and you have this podcast that talks about this stuff. And so it just evolves in that community niche. And then, yeah, breaking out of that is like A, to decide if you want to do that and then uh, B, like how you go about actually doing that. So, yeah, yeah I think you're right. I mean, that, and I think that's part, partly why we've never really uh, changed our, our marketing focus away from Mac and iOS is because, you know, that's sort of where we're known. That's where all of our connections are. Those are the, the developers that we know. Um, but what we have actually been trying to consciously do is sort of turn that around instead of necessarily taking our conference to the mass, to other platforms, we've been trying to bring, uh, other platforms to our conference. Right. Um, you know, that I mentioned before that I think that, I think those who've been in like SaaS and web businesses in particular have, um, are much more sophisticated in sort of the marketing pricing businessy side of stuff than a lot of, uh, iOS and Mac developers are. And so we've been, we've tried to tap into that a little bit and, uh, bring in speakers who are, you know, more familiar to, I think, uh, web developers than to us. Like Sarah Hatter was with us, was with us last year. Uh, Rachel Andrews was, was with us the year before that. Um, and try to bring in some outside voices so that they can sort of share what they've learned, uh, in their, in their work with other platforms and sort of, start to get that to sink in a little bit to the iOS and web community so that, or iOS and Mac community so that maybe we can, uh, you know, pick up some of those lessons learned that have, that the web community has, you know, been hard won in the web community over years. So. Yeah. And what's always interesting to see too, like Sarah Hatter with co-support is obviously talking about customer service, I presume. And yeah, that's a very interesting, like between a SaaS app and a mobile app, like between a SaaS app that's paying a company a hundred dollars a month and a mobile app where you got paid 99 cents once or whatever, you know, yeah, exactly. it's just advertising revenue. Like there's very different support models there and, and things like the expectations and everything else. So uh, it is interesting to bring people into your world and both to get their information and also to get their take on these different sorts of situations is, is interesting as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, we've, I mean, I've, you know, ask me what my favorite talk is. It's like asking a, a proud papa who his favorite child is. <laughs> so I can't do that, but I can. I mean, I can say that uh, all the sort of outside iOS and Mac community speakers that we've brought in uh, over the last couple of years have, you know, all, w without exception, delivered exceptional talks. And I think everybody who came to our conference may not have known who they were coming in because they're not really part of their circles, but definitely left with a a uh, respect to the speakers and, and learned a lot uh, from from all the talks that they heard. So we're going to have uh, release notes 2017. Um, to be determined. Um, we are we're, we're making some final decisions right now about uh, whether whether we're going to happen as far as venue and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but we will definitely have an announcement by one way or the other by uh, probably early to mid January. Yeah, cool. Yeah, you got to start early with these things and. Get them, get them, get the dates. Well, you do. You want to, I mean, if, if, if you're not having it, you want to warn people. But if you are having it, you want them to save the spot on your calendar, right? So yep. at right. least put a save the date or something like that out. Yep. All right, man. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on. It's been, uh, it's been great having you here. 
Well, thanks so much for having me on. I've been a, I have been a long distance fan of this podcast for a long time. So I'm just <laughs> glad to finally uh, have a chance to talk to you guys. Yeah, that's really cool. It's always good to have uh, a member of the family on. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. <laughs>